Part three, chapter four of the Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Secret City by Hugh Walpole. Part three, chapter four. It is impossible to explain how disturbed I was by Nina's news. Semyonov living in the flat. He must have some very strong reason for this, to leave his big comfortable flat for the pokiness of the Markoviches. And then that the Markoviches should have him. There were already inhabitants enough. Nicholas, Vera, Nina, Uncle Ivan, Bohen. Then the inconvenience and discomfort of Nicholas's little hole as a bedroom. How Semyonov must loathe it, from that moment the Markovitch's flat became for me the centre of my drama. Looking back, I could see now how all the growing development of this story had centred round those rooms. I did not, of course, know at this time of that final drama of the Thursday afternoon, but I knew of the adventure with the policeman, and it seemed to me that the flat was a cup into which the ingredients were being poured one after another until at last the preparation would be complete and then oh but i cared for nina and vera and nicholas yes and jerry too i wanted to see them happy and at peace before i left them in especial nicholas and semyonov came closer to them and closer following some plan of his own and yet after all finally like a man driven by a power constructed it might be out of his own very irony i made a kind of bet with fate that by easter day everyone should be happy by then next day the fifteenth of april was the great funeral for the victims of the revolution I believe, although of course at that time I had heard nothing, that there had been great speculation about the day, many people thinking that it would be an excuse for further trouble. The monarchists rising, or the Soviet attacking the provisional government, or Milyukov and his followers attacking the Soviet. They need not have been alarmed. No one had, as yet, realized the lengths that Slavonic apathy may permit itself. I went down about half-past ten to the square at the end of the Sarovaya, and found it filled with a vast concourse of peasants. Not only the square was filled, but the Sarovaya as far as the eye could see. They were arranged in perfect order, about eight in a row, arm in arm. Every group carried its banner, and far away into the distance one could see the words, Freedom, Brotherhood, The Land for All, Peace of the World floating on the breeze. Nevertheless, in spite of these fine words, it was not a very cheering sight. The day was wretched, no actual rain, but a cold, damp wind blowing, and the dirty snow, half ice and half water. The people themselves were not inspiring. They were all, it seemed, peasants. I saw very few workmen, although I believe that multitudes were actually in the procession, those strange pale eastern faces passive apathetic ignorant childish unreasoning stretched in a great cloud under the grey overhanging canopy of the sky 
they raised once and again a melancholy little tune that was more wail than anything else they had stood there i was told in pools of frozen water for hours and were perfectly ready to stand thus for many hours more if they were ordered to do so as i regarded their ignorance and apathy i realized for the first time something of what the revolution had already done a hundred million of these children ignorant greedy pathetic helpless revengeful let loose upon the world where were their leaders who indeed would their leaders be the sun sometimes broke through for a moment but the light that it threw on their faces only made them more pallid more death-like they did not laugh nor joke as our people at home would have done i believe that very few of them had any idea why they were there suddenly the word came down the lines to move forward very slowly wailing their little tune they advanced but the morning was growing old and i must at once see vera i had made up my mind during the night to do anything that lay in my power to persuade vera and nina to leave their flat the flat was the root of all their trouble there was something in its atmosphere something gloomy and ominous they would be better at the other end of the town or perhaps over on the vasily ostrov i would show vera that it was a fatal plan to have semyonov to live with them as in all probability she herself knew well enough and their leaving the flat was a very good excuse for getting rid of him i had all this in my head as i went along i was still feeling ill and feeble and my half-hour's stand in the market-place had seriously exhausted me i had to lean against the walls of the houses every now and then it seemed to me that in the pale watery air the whole world was a dream the high forbidding flats looking down on to the dirty ice of the canals the water dripping 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 no one was about everyone had gone to join in the procession i could see it with my mind's eye unwinding its huge tails through the watery oozing channels of the town like some pale-coloured snake crawling through the misty labyrinths of a marsh in the flat i found only uncle ivan sitting very happily by himself at the table playing patience he was dressed very smartly in his english black suit and a black bow-tie he behaved with his usual elaborate courtesy to me but to my relief on this occasion he spoke russian it appeared that the revolution had not upset him in the least he took he assured me no interest whatever in politics the great thing was to live inside oneself and by living inside oneself he meant i gathered that one should be entirely selfish clothes were important and food and courteous manners but he must say that he could not see that one would be very much worse off even though one were ruled by the germans one might indeed be a great deal more comfortable and as to this revolution he couldn't really understand why people made such a fuss one class or another class what did it matter as to this he was i fear to be sadly undeceived he little knew that before the year was out he would be shoveling snow in the morskaya for a rouble an hour 
So centered was he upon himself that he did not notice that I looked ill. He offered me a chair, indeed, but that was simply his courteous manners. Very ridiculous, he thought, the fuss that Nicholas made about the revolution. Very ridiculous, the fuss that he made about everything. Alexei had been showing Nicholas how ridiculous he was. Oh, has he? said I. How's he been doing that? Laughing at him, apparently. They all laughed at him. It was his own fault. Alexei's living with us now, you know. Yes, I know, I said. What's he doing that for? He wanted to, said Uncle Ivan, simply. He's always done what he's wanted to, all his life. It makes it a great many of you in one small flat. Yes, doesn't it? said Uncle Ivan amiably. Very pleasant, although, Ivan Andreevich, I will admit to you quite frankly that I've always been frightened of Alexey. He has such a very sharp tongue. He discovers one's weak spots in a marvelous manner. We all have weak spots, you know, he added apologetically. Yes, we have, I said. Then, to my relief, Vera came in. She was very sweet to me, expressing much concern about my illness, asking me to stay and have my meal with them. She suddenly broke off. There was a letter lying on the table addressed to her. I saw at once that it was in Nina's handwriting. Nina? Writing to me? She picked it up, stood back, looking at the envelope, before she opened it. She read it, then turned on me with a cry. Nina, she's gone! Gone, I repeated, starting at once. Yes, read. She thrust it into my hand. In Nina's sprawling schoolgirl hand, I read, Dear Vera, I've left you and Nicholas forever. I have been thinking of this for a long time, and now Uncle Alexei has shown me how foolish I've been, wanting something I can't have. But I'm not a child any longer. I must lead my own life. I'm going to live with Boris, who will take care of me. It's no use you or anyone trying to prevent me. I will not come back. I must lead my own life now. Nina. Vera was beside herself. Quick, quick! Someone must go after her. She must be brought back at once. Quick! Skora, Skora! I must go. No, she is angry with me. She won't listen to me. Ivan Andreevich, you must go. At once. You must bring her back with you. Darling, darling Nina. Oh, my God, what shall I do if anything happens to her? She clutched my arm. Even as she spoke, she had got my hat and stick. This is Alexey Petrovitch, I said. Never mind who it is, she answered. She must be brought back at once. She is so young. She doesn't know. Boris! Oh, it's impossible! Don't leave without bringing her back with you. Even old Uncle Ivan seemed distressed. Dear, dear, he kept repeating. Dear, dear, poor little Nina, poor little Nina. Where does Grogoff live? I asked. Sixteen Gagarinskaya, flat three. Quick, you must bring her back with you. Promise me. I will do my best, I said. I found, by a miracle of good fortune, an isvostchik in the street outside. We plunged along through the pools of water in the direction of the Gaganinskaya. That was a horrible drive. In the Sadovaya we met the slow-winding funeral procession. 
on they went arm in arm the same little wailing tune monotonously repeating but sounding like nothing human rather exuding from the very cobbles of the road and the waters of the stagnant canals the march of the peasants upon petrograd i could see them from all the quarters of the town converging upon the marsovoye pole stubborn silent wraiths of earlier civilization omens of later dominations i thought of boris grogoff what did he with all his vehemence and conceit intend to do with these first he would flatter them i saw that clearly enough but then when his flatteries failed what then could he control them would they obey him would they obey anybody until education had shown them the necessities for coordination and self-discipline the river at last was overflowing its banks would not the savage force of its power be greater than any one could calculate the stream flowed on my isvotchik took his cab down a side street and then again met the strange sorrowful company from this point i could see several further bridges and streets and over them all i saw the same stream flowing the same banners blowing and all so still so dumb so patient the delay was maddening my thoughts were all now on nina i saw her always before me as i had beheld her yesterday walking slowly along her eyes fixed on space the tears trickling down her face life nikitin once said to me i sometimes think is like a dark room the door closed the windows bolted and your enemy shut in with you whether your enemy or yourself is the stronger who knows nor does it matter as the issue is always decided outside knowing that you can at least afford to despise him i felt something of that impotence now i cursed the espostic but wherever he went this slow endless stream seemed to impede our way poor nina such a baby what was it that had driven her to this she did not love the man and she knew quite well that she did not no it was an act of defiance but defiance to whom to vera to lawrence and what had semyonov said to her then thank heaven we crossed the nevsky and our way was clear the old cabman whipped up his horse and in a minute or two we were outside sixteen gagarinskaya i will confess to very real fears and hesitations as i climbed the dark stairs the lift was of course not working i was not the kind of man for this kind of job in the first place i hated quarrels and knowing grogoff's hot temper i had every reason to expect a tempestuous interview then i was ill aching in every limb and seeing everything as i always did when i was unwell mistily and with uncertainty then i had a very shrewd suspicion that there was considerable truth in what semyonov had said that i was interfering in what only remotely concerned me at any rate that was certainly the view that grogoff would take and nina perhaps also i felt as i rang the bell of number three that unpleasant pain in the pit of the stomach that tells you that you're going to make a fool of yourself well it would not be for the first time 
boris nikolaevitch doma i asked the cross-looking old woman who opened the door doma she answered holding it open to let me pass i was shown into a dark untidy sitting-room it seemed at first sight to be littered with papers newspapers revolutionary sheets and proclamations the pravda the soldatskaya mwisel on the dirty wallpaper there were enormous dark photographs in faded gilt frames of family groups on one wall there was a large garishly colored picture of grogoff himself in student's dress the stove was unlighted and the room was very cold my heart ached for Nina. A moment after, Grogoff came in. He came forward to me very amiably, holding out his hand. "'Nu, Ivan Andreevich, what can I do for you?' he asked, smiling. And how he had changed! He was positively swollen with self-satisfaction. He had never been famous for personal modesty, but he seemed now to be physically twice his normal size. He was fat, his cheeks puffed, his stomach swelling beneath the belt that bounded. His fair hair was long, and rolled in large curls on one side of his head and over his forehead. He spoke in a loud, overbearing voice. "'Nu, Ivan Andreevich, what can I do for you?' he repeated. "'Can I see Nina?' I asked. "'Nina?' he repeated, as though surprised. "'Certainly. But what do you want to say to her?' "'I don't see that that's your business,' I answered. "'I have a message for her from her family.' "'But of course it's my business,' he answered. "'I'm looking after her now.' "'Since when?' I asked. "'What does that matter? She is going to live with me.' "'We'll see about that,' I said. I knew that it was foolish to take this kind of tone. It could do no good, and I was not the sort of man to carry it through. But he was not at all annoyed.' see ivan andreevich he said smiling what is there to discuss nina and i have long considered living together she is a grown-up woman it's no one's affair but her own are you going to marry her i asked certainly not he answered that would not suit either of us it's no good your bringing your english ideas here ivan andreevich we belong to the new world nina and i well i want to speak to her i answered so you shall certainly but if you hope to influence her at all you are wasting your time i assure you nina has acted very rightly she found the home life impossible i'm sure i don't wonder she will assist me in my work the most important work perhaps that man has ever been called on to perform he raised his voice here as though he were going to begin a speech but at that moment Nina came in. She stood in the doorway, looking across at me, with a childish mixture of hesitation and boldness, of anger and goodwill in her face. Her cheeks were pale, her eyes heavy. Her hair was done in two long plaits. She looked about fourteen. She came up to me, but she didn't offer me her hand. Boris said, "'Nina, dear,' Ivan Andreevich has come to give you a message from your family. There was a note of scorn in his voice as he repeated my earlier sentence. What is it? she asked, looking at me defiantly. I'd like to give it you alone, I said. Whatever you say to me, it is right that Boris should hear, she answered. I tried to forget that Grogoff was there. I went on. Well then, Nina, you must know what I want to say. 
They are heartbroken at your leaving them. You know, of course, that they are. They beg you to come back. Vera and Nicholas, too. They simply won't know what to do without you. Vera says that you have been angry with her. She doesn't know why, but she says that she will do her very best if you come back, so that you won't be angry any more. Nina, dear, you know that it is they whom you really love. You never can be happy here. You know that you cannot. Come back to them. Come back. I don't know what it was that Alexey Petrovitch said to you, but whatever it was you should not listen to it. He is a bad man, and only means harm to your family. He does indeed—I paused. She had never moved whilst I was speaking. Now she only said, shaking her head, "'It's no good, Ivan Andreevich, it's no good.' "'But why, why?' I asked. "'Give me your reasons, Nina.' She answered proudly, "'I don't see why I should give you any reasons, Ivan Andreevich. I am free.' I can do as I wish. There's something behind this that I don't know, I said. I ought to know. It isn't fair not to tell me. What did Alexey Petrovitch say to you? But she only shook her head. He had nothing to do with this. It is my affair, Ivan Andreevich. I couldn't live with Vera and Nicholas any longer. Grogov then interfered. I think this is about enough, he said. I have given you your opportunity. Nina has been quite clear in what she has said. She does not wish to return. There is your answer. He cleared his voice and went on in rather a higher tone. I think you forget, Ivan Andreevich, another aspect of this affair. It is not only a question of our private family disputes. Nina has come here to assist me in my national work, as a member of the soviet i may without exaggeration claim to have an opportunity in my hands that has been offered in the past to few human beings you are an englishman and so hide-bound with prejudices and conventions you may not be aware that there has opened this week the greatest war the world has ever seen the war of the proletariats against the bourgeoisie and capitalists of the world I tried to interrupt him, but his voice went on, his voice ever rising and rising. What is your wretched German war? What but a struggle between the capitalists of the different countries to secure greater robberies and extortions, to set their feet more firmly than ever on the broad necks of the wretched people? Yes, you English, with your natural hypocrisy, pretend that you are fighting for the freedom of the world. What about Ireland? What about India? What about South Africa? No, you are all alike. Germany, England, Italy, France, and our own wretched government that has at last been destroyed by the brave will of the people. We declare a people's war. We cry aloud to the people to throw down their arms, and the people will hear us. He paused for breath. His arms were raised, his eyes on fire, his cheeks crimson. Yes, I said, that is all very well. But suppose the German people are the only ones who refuse to listen to you. Suppose that all the other nations, save Germany, have thrown down their arms. A nice chance, then, for German militarism. But the German people will listen, he screamed, almost frothing at the mouth. They are ready at any moment to follow our example. 
William and your George and the rest of them. They are doomed, I tell you. Nevertheless, I went on, if you desert us now, by making peace, and Germany wins this war, you will have played only a traitor's part, and all the world will judge you. Traitor! Traitor! The words seemed to madden him. Traitor to whom, pray? Traitor to our czar and your English king? Yes, and thank God for it. Did the Russian people make the war? They were led like lambs to the slaughter, like lambs, I tell you. But now they will have their revenge on all the bourgeoisie of the world, the bourgeoisie of the world. He suddenly broke off, flinging himself down on the dirty sofa. <laughs> Talking makes one hot. Have a drink, Ivan Andreevich. Nina, fetch a drink. Through all this my eyes had never left her for a moment. I had hoped that this empty tub-thumping to which we had been listening would have affected her, but she had not moved nor stirred. "'Nina,' I said softly, "'Nina, come with me.' But she only shook her head. Grogoff, quite silent now, lolled on the sofa watching us. I went up to her and put my hand on her sleeve. "'Dear Nina,' I said, "'come back to us.' I saw her look tremble. There were unshed tears in her eyes. But again she shook her head. "'What have they done,' I asked, "'to make you take this step?' "'Something has happened,' she said slowly. "'I can't tell you.' "'Just come and talk to Vera.' "'No, it's hopeless. I can't see her again. "'But, Dirtles, tell her it's not her fault.' At the sound of my pet name I took courage again. "'But tell me, Nina, do you love this man?' She turned round and looked at Grogoff as though she were seeing him for the first time. "'Love? Oh, no, not love. But he will be kind to me, I think. And I must be myself, be a woman, not a child any longer.' Then suddenly clearing her voice, speaking very firmly, looking me full in the face, she said, "'Tell Vera that I saw what happened that Thursday afternoon, "'the Thursday of the Revolution Week. "'Tell her that when you're alone with her. "'Tell her that, then she'll understand.' "'She turned and almost ran out of the room. "'Well, you see,' said Grogoff, smiling lazily from the sofa. "'That settles it.' "'It doesn't settle it,' I answered. "'We shall never rest until we have got her back.' but I had to go. There was nothing more just then to be done. End of Part 3 Chapter 4